0: There's a relationship, whenever someone meets who doesn't know each other, there's just all the layers is there. And if you want to build a deep, great relationship, you kind of need to peel layer by layer into the core. You can't really shortcut it. You mm-hmm. just need to go layer by layer. right? And, and that takes time. Conflict is a good thing if you know how to manage it and do it, because it requires people to expose themselves and go through tougher things. But that's also when you build relationships.
1: Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders in the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best teams and company cultures in order to create the best games. Speaking to hundreds of game executives in the show, I have identified recurring patterns and mistakes that we all make in our leadership journey. Do you have to go through the same hold-ons and make the same mistakes to learn, too? You are not alone in this journey, and hopefully you can learn from a diverse range of seasoned leaders who already walk the talk. Every episode brings actionable insights and case studies that will help you improve your management skills, self-awareness, and empathic communication. Becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. Are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. Hello, hello everyone. (laughs) Greetings from London and from uh, WeWork, second part, PGC London. Happy New Year, everyone.
0: Happy New Year.
1: I'm sitting here with Kim Nordstrom. I feel honored as well that I managed to pull you (laughs) to a podcast recording and the reason why we're here. I've read the book and Kim you've released the book it's called up down up in gaming but really up and down of the startups companies in games and up and down leadership companies business over was it a hundred companies that you interviewed
0: 103 founders CEOs leaders
1: Mm.
0: and then, then there was a About 60 people has been supporting on the sidelines. Mm. I mean, you know, you've been interviewing quite a bit of people, so you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I feel very honored that I have been also contributing in some way. You have.
0: Yeah, that was great. (laughs) I'm the one who's thankful here.
1: (laughs) Not spoiling it, because the best way to know about the book is to read the book. But some points I wanted to follow up on after reading it. And before we get started with the book, what led you to write the book?
0: I grew up as one of those demo scene geeks, so I released my first game in '95. So, you know, I'm not on the younger side, but I spent one journey with King and I came in just before this tremendous growth journey with candy and all of it. And it's just an amazing number of people, culture, products. Then obviously, you know, like any other journey, there's a peak to it. And so I was through that and a bit on the downside, and then I decided I wanted to do something else. I spent 5 years with Paradox, it was a very different shift from working with King. I went to PC hardcore audiences from very casual mm-hmm. side. And Paradox is similar in many ways, amazing people, amazing culture. I mean, loyalty of these fans, outstanding. Also went through an amazing journey that reached a sort of a peak and then, you know, went into somewhat of a decline, right? And when I decided that I wanted to take some time off, I started looking at these two journeys and realizing that they were very different companies Mm -hmm. on the surface, but the pattern was very remarkable, similar, right? So I started thinking, what happened here? How can a company who has everything, you know, in all aspects, Mm -hmm. do so well? And then at a certain point, and I was there, peak. Right? And, you know, in terms of audience, Mm. revenue, in whatever way, right? And things get slower and so on and so on. So I just wanted to know what happened because, you know, there are consequences of actions, but where were the actions? Mm. And then I started calling people and asking questions. And it turns out, you know, a lot of these companies go through similar curves. That was the baseline for the book for me. I wasn't intending to write a book, (laughs) I was just trying to learn. Mm -hmm. So I was a bit obsessed for a while. Mm. But the Patterns, you know, clearly checked out. And once I just looked outside of the games industry, you could also see that there was a terms for this, like mm-hmm. corporate life cycles, companies go through certain phases. Mm-hmm. And it was so obvious. Startup, growth, and then I call it mature, whenever the company peaks product or, or, or you know, a certain level of revenue, and obviously decline. While doing this work, I also realized what do you need to do even before you start a game company? So I call it the foundation. Mm. So the book is structured according to these five blocks. And then two years later, it's done, out, (laughs) finished.
1: Before we get into the details of some parts of it, I was curious also about the process of interviewing the companies. And you chose at different phases. Big ones and some of that are early stage. How did you, through that process, end up selecting the companies that you selected?
0: First time doing it, in the beginning, it was very organic. So I called friends, mm-hmm. right? And it was very unofficial. And I reached a point where I realized that even if I talked to my friends, it, I, I wanted to be bigger. I wanted more data points. Mm-hmm. And it's a qualitative process. So yes. if you ask 10 people, and you ask them roughly the same questions, you look for patterns. Yeah. That's as scientific as it gets. Right? I wanted like a, a split of people. So I wanted to talk to very successful people. I also wanted to talk to people who's been through, you know, the down period and people who could reflect on their journey. I wanted to talk to people in different parts of the world. So I focused on Europe and the US, and, you know, and so on. I also wanted to talk to, you know, Obviously, the domi- industry is very dominated by guys, but I also wanted to the female perspective. About 20% of all the calls and interviews been making sure that I yeah, get that mm-hmm. side. I tried to map it out, but in reality, it's also who wants to share information with me. I, it needs to be a good conversation. So mm-hmm. I could probably have done extremely static mm-hmm. like by the numbers. But in the end, it also needed to be people who were interested, who understood the purpose, who wanted to share their journey. Mm-hmm. I promised everyone that most of this is kind of confidential uh, on the note side, so I can get some extra wisdom on the depth, right? Yeah. Everything is in the book, has been approved. I hope everyone's happy with, it, with <laughs> the content. But I got to say, so many people shared openly willingness of hard stuff. Mm-hmm. I asked Pretty tough questions (laughs) and uh, I got a lot of good stuff so I'm so much wiser now.
1: (laughs) And that's the value of it really going into those private conversation where maybe there's not a place for it to be public because it has many implications, right? When you have employees, uh, you report to, I don't know, public market investors and so on. But getting the learning and the wisdom and gathering all of that and also with the effort of what I would call diversity of perspective stages, really with that effort. And it's a collaborative process because not everyone cares or would want to dedicate the time for it. So it is a selection bias, of course, in that sense for the ones that care about like, how what can we learn from you know other companies that have been through the same journey. However, like from the list and it's in the book, you can see the source of all the companies that have yeah. participated. Yeah. I can say it was a pretty good diverse range. I, I would really give like the credit of the work of research and interview, gathering all that qualitative data points you have to go back to those moments where okay this is a turning point where i will make a mistake in that phase it's true that you can look into business books and but there's so much knowledge this day where you make it very focused here around games and i think this is the main value mm. where i would say for anyone building in the process of building a company already in the company it is a, like a very straightforward resource to go to where at least avoiding those common pitfalls mm.
0: yeah mm. And- it, it's not beautifully written, it's like pretty snappy. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping also there's depth. So if you go back and read it again with different eyes, yes. there might be, uh, you know, a deeper sense. But the chapters are short.
1: Yeah, w- you did achieve uh, that outcome because it was pretty straightforward to read. And there some parts that are very like philosophy-based where it makes you reflect, right? And that's what it is for the process. So. Yeah. Let's get into some bits of it of a book. However, mm-hmm. um, so one quote that really made me smile when I was reading it: "It takes hard work to get to success; it takes twice efforts to maintain it." Mm-hmm. From drum roll, Dr. Dre
0: <laughs> to Eminem, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. To, and I was like, "That's a lot of uh, truth reality." Where part of a book where you analyze the success, especially in the gaming, you see that. You don't see a winner twice, very rare, or the winners that can replicate the success. So the one-shot, but when you do it twice or you maintain it over time, this is not luck anymore. You discard the luck factor where it's skills. So what are maybe the wisdom or learning you wanted to bring more around the way, maybe as companies, when we celebrate that one-shot success, you can say complacency that builds after, instead of having the wisdom of OK, it's not over. It's not because you succeeded once, but, you know, your, your journey is over. So,
0: No, I, I'm with you. So I think the reason the book is called Up, Down, Up is because what I've seen is that any companies who do well, they go up and most of them peak and they go down. And the most successful ones figured out to go through mm-hmm. that decline phase and then go up again. So that's why this quote is in the very beginning of the book is that it's very hard to build a great studio. I mean, there's just no doubt. But once you've done that game, a lot of founders and leaders start to go, what now? And the most common thing is just, they go all over the place. They invest in too many things and it gets Mm -hmm. scattered. And that's usually one of the main reasons it goes down. Mm -hmm. They lose touch with what Mm -hmm. made them successful in the first time. Typical wisdom of this journey has been, when they go through the decline phase, which is pretty good because it just sorts out the level of arrogance that comes with success, Mm -hmm. and they found their way back to what made them successful in the very first time, Mm -hmm. right? That seems to be a pattern, hence Mm -hmm. the title of the book, then up, down, up, right? Mm -hmm. And the scary and the most brutal thing that most people hate me for is that if you want to repeat success, you should build the same game over and over again. And obviously all the creative people (laughs) hate this. That's not what they want to do. That's not why they join, whatever reasons. If you want to be very skilled at anything, if you want to be a best sports player or musician or whatever, pure practice means you do the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. again, right? It's a cycle, it's an iteration. So if you build one game, you build this great team, you build technology, you build that core game, you release it. You figure out the market. You talk to the audience, and and then go. That was fun. I'm going to do something different now. You're essentially throwing everything out, right? Mm. Obviously, the experience sits in the team, yeah. But it's a high risk thing, right? So probability for failure is just higher, yeah. Right? And especially today, mm. right, where profitability is more important than ever, yeah. right? So. There's probably a reason why sequels are made in Hollywood. Sure, it's maybe the most boring thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you can be really good if you actually treasure and value that and mm-hmm. actually think about what did we do great and less so mm-hmm. and focus on how we can improve it, right? Mm-hmm. Lindsay, who's the creative person at The Sims, Maxis, she's been there for 20 years. She's building the fifth version of The Sims and she finds an amazing, you know, opportunity in that craft because there's just enough challenge to go around mm. and there's enough space to be creative. You don't really have to go completely mm. doing something else. You can, of course, but you have to figure this out in the beginning when you start the company or, you know, be very clear what you want to achieve with mm. it, right?
1: And back to the beginning, I think this is really about the question you can ask yourself, and we'll get into that, like really at the foundational stage. What are we building? What is the ambition? And why are we here? Because I can see the benefit for sure in persisting in the direction where you're good at. It's compound effect, right? Over time, you're just getting better. It's, I've seen this in company I've been part of as well, where it's tempting, the temptation to do something out of your way and new. And what are the patterns back also to your observation, When you tell me it makes sense, it's very rational, with a bit of discipline and wisdom, you just keep doing what you're good at. But for some reason, it's not happening. So what are the patterns of human behavior as you've seen why it's not happening?
0: Well, I think you said it. I think <laughs> the, the rational, boring side of me is that I believe so much more in discipline than motivation. But like anything else, you need both. Yeah. So discipline and the sense of staying true to who you are, and I mean as a company, like whatever you set out to do, make sure that's what you do. If you want to change then you need to be very outspoken of, we used to do this, and now we're going to do something different, whatever the change is, Mm. and take people through that. As you said, it it is about people, and that requires discipline. It's self-reflection, trying to figure out what it means and trying to figure out what change you want. Mm. And then you take people through that change, and on the other side, you keep people, including yourself, to that discipline. Mm.
1: Yes. You touch also on that responsibility when you build a company and a CEO like the role and the discipline, which of course as a word and where there's no emotion involved, it's easy to say. But what I've seen as well, uh, a discipline is testing for a CEO or founders where there will be things that you do even like against your own self. You know, like the temptation of doing something new. Mm-hmm. But I've I've seen also the case of founders where by doing the same thing this is where they have to displease others mm-hmm. and i i can mention a company and yes has been actually talking about that when they were really in decline trying to please basically employees who have been there from the beginning loyal and they wanted to do something else yeah. right
0: it's not without emotions right you should be empathic and emotional mm-hmm. and care about people but discipline is about staying true to what you promised yourself and other people right so so Il Kapanana made me his like a very great example of discipline. right? So he said, we promised the team that no one else than then can cancel their game. Every game they've built since they become successful, a lot of people have been looking at, you know internally those games and develop and saying this might not work and you know have opinions, and it is a bumpy journey to build a mm-hmm. game, right? And they had a lot of discussions every time about every game in development within Supercell. And these are from the early days up until now. And he said every time, I promise the team that they're the ones who's going to cancel it. And sure, they are in the financial situation, so they can do that. But the enormous pressure from you know, peers, mm-hmm. senior people, maybe looking at it and saying, I think so, I think that, whatever and stay true to what you promised yourself, the company and the team. Mm. He essentially said every time, if I or someone else outside the team will go in and say, we're going to cancel your game, my culture is done.
1: Mm.
0: Everything I promised him yeah. will be sacrificed, yeah. right? So he said, it's not worth it. Mm. But also, if you need to change it, then you need to be outspoken and say, actually, you know, whatever circumstances, I know what I promised, but you need to understand the consequences of that change.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. When you are becoming inconsistent with a discipline, this is where you have, it's a bit muddy, you have confusion, you know, in where you're going, what you're doing. And we get into the topic, actually, as we see, we get in the conversation about CEOs for gaming companies, where it's a lot of responsibility for a CEO to build a company, mm-hmm. where one can say, okay, building the game, <laughs> having the creative vision, but is that so where there's so many other things that defining in a consistent way, the ways of working, mm-hmm. aligning a team of co-founders. Yeah. Why are we here? What is the ambition level? Are we aligned? Yeah. And what do we do when we are not aligned? So there's so many, so much work on that front, but also I've seen also a wave of many CEOs that are CEO slash product leader, game mm-hmm. designer, and uh, yeah. founders and, and, and everything, and so again, Some observation learnings you have had about specifically in games where it's been a challenge for creatives to be taking the role of CEO and what it doesn't change an organization still needs a CEO at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and where those challenges you've seen have been.
0: First of all, I think when you're a startup, maybe you're in a position where you can't really afford to be fully focused. Startup is typically you do everything everywhere because Mm -hmm. you have to, right? There's Mm -hmm. a reason why most of them work a lot, right? You have so much to, to get done. The CEO is responsible for the alignment of all the people. So you could do PowerPoint and say, here's the goals of the company and ask everyone to go after it. Of course you can, you should. But I think it's about building those behaviors and and make sure that people believe in what they do and they're going the right direction, everyone's going that. That is a daily thing and it's a very hard thing to do. Uh, But it's part of the job to make sure that You you enable people to do the things they need to do, they do it in the right order, in the right way. It's human people, it's behaviors, building patterns, all of these things, but it's a a hard job. Mm. I think the other side is, and I write about this in the book, is that the most common behavior I see personally when I talk to people is that they're lonely. Mm. It, It is a lonely job to be the CEO of the company. And even if you're a set of founders and you trust each other, that's so key for the success of the CEO, but ultimately it is a lonely job and it kind of needs to be. So you need to also be learning yourself to live with a lot of abstract things, not knowing, still needing to take decision mm-hmm. and heavy stuff on your mm-hmm. shoulders. right? In the beginning, might everything might be fun and I'm not saying easy, but once you start building an audience and you have a revenue coming in, you might... Have investors, you might even be a public company, the burden on your shoulders increases. So you need to surround yourself with people that could be, you know, as everyone says, honest with you, truthful with you, and have someone to talk to. And usually I'm a person that people come to talk to because I'm in nobody in their <laughs> organization. I'm not part of anywhere. They just need someone to talk to, to reflect on things. And it's usually driven by I have so much stuff on my shoulders and I need someone to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we should have more psychology into the industry yeah. where people. And so the CEO forums are great because then they can share experience, people understand. But just sounding boards, yeah so important.
1: Mm. So that's also like one of the solutions or course of action that are mentioned in the book because it's just not... Highlighting where are the challenges, but also suggesting some solutions that uh, some companies have uh, done. And I think there was mention of also trends I've seen, like having co CEOs, yeah, assigning yourself a coach or going for counseling sometimes and yeah. the sounding boards, because the responsibility doesn't change, nevertheless. Yeah. But it's a huge task for just one person to yeah. handle. Yes. And sometimes you end up doing so, uh, talking to so of founders through the podcast private conversation, some they just happen to be in the room, but in their heart, they just don't want to be in that room. And this is where, at the end of the day, it's still damaging for the organization because you need someone to take that responsibility.
0: All the shit always go upwards, right? (laughs) It it is true. So what the hardest thing should and usually always ends up on the CEO plate, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're a bigger company, the board would push stuff on you and the rest of the organization would, you know, underneath And it's kind of the way it it works. And then at that moment, you need to be able to deal with some of this pain that comes, right? And you need to be surrounded by people who can be there to support you. Just again, the sounding board. But in the end, you need to be good to deal with all the shit that comes your way. And usually Mm -hmm. you're required to take decision that is very painful, right? There is rarely any like, here's a solution that works everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? There's always a set of pain. And it needs to be distributed in some way, mm. unfortunately.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah, and that I've seen the challenge uh, my coaching practice, that it's a lot of uh, self-leadership, you know, like learning, finding the resources inside you to deal with expectation, responsibilities. And at the end of the day, you know, you have those days where you have your emotions, you just want to, mm-hmm. you know, let go. Letting go one day and sleep yeah. the next day has consequences in yeah. an organization. And this is the hardest part, I find, with a role, it's strength, mental strength, psychological strength and mm-hmm. going through that journey of making hard decisions, yeah. displeasing others. Sometimes even, are you aligned still with yourself? Yeah. What is the truth in you? And it's also a conversation that you need to have if yeah. you can, you know. So, yeah. so many layers of psychology of it.
0: Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. You know, if you have an organization, few or many, if they start to feel that you as CEO are starting to break the promises you made, right? it doesn't really matter what the promises was. But if you start to change your narrative and you start to do things where they go, hold on, you know, this isn't really what we agreed on. Things are changing. But I think I'll go back to Ilke. I think this is one of his key strengths is that he can be very consistent on the change he wants and mm-hmm. looks for. He can prefer to, here's the promise I made, here's what we said we'd do. Then this happened, we looked at it, and now we decided we're going to do these changes because of these reasons. Mm -hmm. And yes, some will be good, some will be bad. And here's how we're going to do it next, right? And people get, I might not agree, but I understand. When you are in a very stressful position, you start to take a lot of decisions and you start breaking a lot of promises. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where well, to go back to culture. yeah. Know, but yeah. what I do is I tell people like, you don't need to be at the office every day. You can block a whole day in your calendar and not be at the office. Mm-hmm. It's completely okay. Because it's the exhaustion that gets to people over time. Yeah. And that's where you start doing the wrong decisions, right. right? So, you know, whatever profile you are, make sure you're in your best physical and mental strength, especially in these times, right? So,
1: Yeah, it's the quality of also decisions you have to make because that's the main thing you have to do, right? So clarity, quality of your decision and output, right? So CO is not about what you do. Like the time you work, it's about the outcome of what you do and the quality of that depends a lot back to the basics. One topic I wanted to go to, which has been a challenge, especially in conversation of coaching I've had, Co-founders team. Mm-hmm. So in others, I think it was Joachim writing about it, magical pairs and you call it a grumpy old couple. Yeah, yeah. And I've been also part of teams where I have been like in a good duo. Mm-hmm. And could you elaborate more a bit around like that pair and yeah. what you've seen, you know, working well in co-founders team?
0: I bet, you know, you and like many other people, there's all relatives that have been married for 50 years. <laughs> You could look at them and it always looks like they're a bit disrespectful with each other. They're sneezing yeah. at each other. a <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a nagging. And actually, when you start to listen, you don't really hear what they're saying. They're just somehow building on each other's sentences. And it sounds pretty harsh in many cases. And I've learned throughout the years is that, you know, even my own family is that if you start listening to what's really happening, not specifically the word, it could actually be that should we have coffee? Yeah, and then, yes. yeah, I always have coffee at three. Well, you know that. You want some coffee? Yeah, I want coffee. <laughs> what they've done is that you, when you've been married and together for so long, you just remove all the disclaimers, all that. Are you sure you want to? Really? You know, just get to the point, right? And. It just means that you're so comfortable with each other and you trust each other so completely and you understand each other so, so, so much, so deep. You remove 90% of the vocabulary.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I know you were going to have coffee at three. I just need to say that same word. It might not even be the word coffee, but the other person goes, "Mm," and then someone does coffee. And if you're looking there going, what's going on? So I've studied this at game companies, right, you know, on, on the more on the creative side and there's a product business, operational, there's a, I call it a marriage, right? And the best of them who's been together for a very long time, they're in constant conflict. Right? There's a constant challenge. They don't talk about the nice fluffy things. They only attack the very critical thing at all given time, right? So in environments, other people can be afraid of these two because it looks like they're constantly arguing, but they're negotiating. Mm -hmm. They're very quickly getting to a point where they can decide on something Mm -hmm. because they know each other so well, right? It's an enormous longing. And obviously, they should be friendly and kind and Mm -hmm. nice to each other, which it's a loving thing, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Touching also on another topic, that complementary of a co-founder's team, right? So the way I look at it, like having done hiring of teams and co-founders, like the complementary is really key. And this is where when you are representing a different point of view, there's value in debating, sparring, because you make progress together instead of staying in your position. Exactly. The main point of tension I see that is necessary, especially in, the, in games, the creative and the business side, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you could elaborate more on that part, like what are also the challenges in the industry where maybe an imbalance, I've seen some phases, I see an imbalance in the creative side, maybe if you go more indie, for example, completely creative, I've talked to teams and Um, no business, not thinking about it. And then let's see tomorrow. And then there's, one can say, so I see a lot more of that in mobile games where it's very explicit. You perform or you don't mm-hmm. and very business oriented, maybe at the cost of creative.
0: So I think uh, that the very simple answer is that most of the most successful game companies in the world, you can always find a grumpy old couple. And you'll find that maybe not at a very specific moment, but over time, there's a balance between these two people, these two roles which has this alignment and ability to actually negotiate and be in conflict efficiently all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, both Paradox and King had specifically these two people. You can go to Rockstar, you'll find it, you know, Supercell has it too, right? Larger organizations sh- try to form teams around these two people, at least mm-hmm. they used to, because you need a creative and a business aspect, and you need these two people to be very tight mm-hmm. and, and to be very, very fast in decision-making. So, to co-found a studio, you need to be certain that you have these two competences in these two types of roles, whatever you call them, right? The CEO can be the creative and the CTI, it doesn't really matter. You need to have these types of abilities where one is more focused towards the creative side and one on the operational business Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, and you need to understand each other and you need to build on each other on a very detailed level. it's so important that you find these competences and personalities who can mix and be very grumpy old couple all, mm. over time, right? Yeah. Because it takes time. People are married for 50 years. <laughs> there's, there's a reason they get to that point.
1: Yeah. It's a good reminder to respect those craft and films perspective that to always stay in tension because it's like a yin and yang. You can't build a successful game company without one or the other, right? Exactly. Thinking of examples where it's too creative or it's too business-driven because at the end of the day, you know, it's a game is a form of art still, but it needs a commercial to survive. Exactly. And it's back to co-founders, team, composition, who you choose to believe in ways of working, really ingrained in the culture. How do you spar? How yeah. do you disagree? How do you have conflicts, right? Yeah. It's At this point, it's not even explicit. It's in the people, right? So this is where it's being a test. Can you disagree to have a good outcome, yeah. Yeah. where that creative tension is, I would say, at the heart of a culture without making the whole structure explode. Yeah. Like the leadership, who are like, leading the company, how do they behave? Yeah. So then, that same behavior is mimic in over te- like in the teams, like that tension can exist and it's safe to happen. Yeah. So it's so many layers of it, where as a result, this is the co-founder team, but it, it touches on all the you know the elements of what makes a company cultures, yes. uh, way of working.
0: In the book, I talk about I call it peel the onion, <laughs>
1: right? yes,
0: because it's layers, and I think about it as a relationship. Whenever someone meets who doesn't know each other, there's just all the layers that's there. And if you want to build a deep, great relationship, you kind of need to peel layer by layer into the core. You can't really shortcut it. You mm. just need to go layer by yeah. layer, right? And, and that takes time. Yeah. And for every new person you put into it, there's a peeling the onion kind mm. of approach that needs to be done. Conflict is a good thing if you know how to manage it mm. and do it because it requires people to expose themselves. Yeah and go through tougher things. But that's also when you build relationship.
1: That reminds me for how do you see a team doing? It's in the worst times, how they handle it. It's a real test actually, even when things are going right. Yeah. Yeah. This is where you see the true colors of the team huh? yeah. and the personalities.
0: I had breakfast with Emily from Superbloom uh, this morning. Uh, I'm so, so, I mean, they do some amazing stuff. And we talked about this. And I mentioned that from what I've learned is that, you know, to build a relationship, it actually boils down to a set of things. One is frequency. Like, how often do we meet? There's so many things we pick up by knowing each other and talking mm-hmm. to each other and, and just learning about each other. But if we only spend time and only talk about weather or whatever the sport thing, we stay shallow, right? We don't get to a deep, meaningful. And the other thing is actually conflict as in not as we argue and fight, but we go through challenging things. It could be we against the world. We go through, as you said, tougher times because it it creates meaning for us and we do it together. Again, up, down, up. I think it's the downside and the ones who's there and who's been through it you know, I think that's where the relationships are built, totally. and, right? And then you go up again, and that's yeah. where you build the truth. That's where I think the second curve can be so much bigger. It's one of the components, at least.
1: Yeah, in the stages of forming a team, the storming, what you said, like going down is the key uh, stage of forming a team, actually. This is where a team is really formed, not, again, mm-hmm. during good times. And I've experienced it as well, building a studio where at the Time after the storming, the most uncomfortable where we feel we all break up and, you know, we will not talk to each other the day after. If we can overcome this, this is beautiful because this is where you can really trust Like we have survived this. Mm -hmm. We've seen the ugliest part of ourselves, (laughs) but in a safe way where nobody left.
0: Remember, we, we talked about this a long time ago when you wanted to do more advising and consulting. Mm. And remember I told you that like, one of the first things I do when I start to talk to new companies is that I specifically seek out the elephant in the room mm. and I put my finger on it and I can see it. it's usually painful when you start to point to things because they know that it's a bad thing, that they haven't really dealt with, hence mm-hmm. the elephant in the room. And then I push a little harder. And it always causes some friction and irritation, and then I say, well, you know, it's not my company. (laughs) I'm just saying it's there. You know it's there. I'm just saying you're not doing anything with it. And it causes a bit like annoying, So, you know, peeling the onion. Immediately I can go a few steps down a lot quicker. And it also creates a level of respect for each other, a level of credibility, I'm pointing to something and I'm not giving up. I'm just saying, if you mm. want to do this, I'll be there for you. Yeah. It, it, it would be part of my job, but I'm not going to sit there and pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to point to it mm. and I'm going to hold you to it. Mm. But it costs pain But well, the next week. Suddenly we talk to each other on a deeper level.
1: Mm. That's great when you have exactly as a practice someone external to painfully to point you to your own things that you may know or may not know. And in some cases as well, when the co-founder team as well is, I would say, mature, aware enough to point out themselves, this yeah. is the hardest part. Exactly. And
0: yeah. that's where you wanted the co-founding team to be. Let's just go back to the Grand Pio Copa and it goes back to the ability to be in conflict. Mm. But then again, you know, as any team, let's say you're three, three people in a team, you know, and then you add a fourth one all that gets reset, right? Mm. And then you have yes. to teach the fourth person and then the, that person will go through the same levels again, right? Yeah. And then, you know, a month later you add a fifth person and you have to go through it again, yeah. right? It's just, it just can be very devastating for the team yeah. when they build this up over and over mm-hmm.
1: again. Right? And being cautious about the uh, people you have to add over time. This is where we're really getting on the deep dive on some topics that's really interesting. Uh, looking at the company, like a human being growing up, right? Infancy stage, teenager, a bit erratic, and then growing up, maturing and declining and aging. And one part that is at the end of the book that really also stayed with me really as good reflection question for a CEO. You can be a good CEO at different phases, and one that I find the most challenging is when you have hit success and then having that conversation, I think you have some reflection question, is this still the company you want to be part of? Mm. And when you know that you have to go and repeat again, and it's not of interest for you, oh. like the painful conversation, the dialogue you should have, are you still the right one to continue the face to or either fix the decline or you know, not get into the decline so you keep repeating the growth? So maybe reminding those questions are, and maybe some practices you've seen where actually CEOs take themselves out, or mm. some co-founders, mm or actually challenges and blockers that listeners can think of, like why?
0: I've been through, as an advisor, companies where the CEO wasn't the right person for that company in that stage. And part of the job, unfortunately, became to highlight to that person that you're probably not the one who should lead this company anymore. And and it doesn't need to be a bad thing. Mm. I think the basic nature of humans is that you're good at certain things. Like you're naturally good and you can build skill on everything. Mm -hmm. But first of all, you might enjoy a phase. Someone might enjoy the decline phase tremendously, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And and also might be very skillful at it. Great. That's awesome, right? So uh, you have to first understand where are you actually good at. It's not the same thing to be good at it because you enjoy it. You can actually be amazing at something and dislike it. So you can still do it. And then I think the second thing is just as a leader to grow with the company's needs. And I think this is the hardest part, mm-hmm. to understand that maybe you enjoy building the product, maybe you enjoy launching it, maybe that's amazing and fun, but suddenly you know everything is flatlining. You sit and suddenly profit like days right now. It's different type of leadership. And if it's your company and you're the CEO or whoever, you need to transform with the company. Yeah it's very hard and it's also in my head it can be completely fine to acknowledge that I'm actually bad at it. this mm. is weakness I'm a risk for this company where it is even if it's my company and figure out how to solve it
1: mm. right again the challenges of building a company that survives over time repeating success It's just the human component of a person that has to take the role of a CEO you face over time Those emotions, different motivations of life, and having the hard conversation that you are redundant, right? And no one's like to tell that to themselves, like, I'm just not the right person. So it takes a lot of maturity, actually, and confidence in yourself. Like, I'm still a good person, but I'm just not the right person for that role. And to extract yourself.
0: People talk about, you know, mission and vision and, you know, all the things they want to do. And I I talk about it in a book. But I think one thing I I tend to ask people is, like, whatever you do, whatever role you have, why is this important for you? What is your purpose here? If you have a good understanding on why you do what you do in a company, whatever position, you can always go back to that in good times and bad times. Like, I'm here because I believe in something. And I get that here. Mm. And now there's bad times, but I still believe in this thing. Or I believe in a person, or I believe mm. in something. I've seen it helps enormously mm. for the most successful, because they, they get pretty empty and lonely once they've achieved the topic. Yeah. In the same way as things go really mm. bad. Why are we doing this?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Wherever in the world you are, whoever mm-hmm. you are, and that's something you have to discover.
1: Yeah. Most profound question for anyone, like why you do what you do and stick to it once you have.
0: It. And probably one priority. of the hardest.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. You're a natural for a podcast, for someone who has done podcasts. We are in the groove of our conversation. So thanks so much for all the work you've done to put together that wisdom. It will help a lot of current founders, future founders, even for my own personal interest, a lot as well. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. See you. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am growing a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. If you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate the show on Spotify or your other favorite podcast platform. It will help other growing leaders to discover the show and benefit from the valuable insights. If you would like to grow rapidly your leadership skills, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io, where you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership and other resources that I offer. Have a great week, and remember to take care of yourself. Until the next time,